It's Jackie from Jackie Always Unplugged. And today's episode is coming to you from a little town called Oneonta, New York, which is where I grew up. I met my moms in upstate New York in her tiny little Cape Cod house, second story. It's beautiful here. Boy, it sure is nice not to be in that Texas heat. This summer, we're in a series called The Table. And on our last episode, we talked about how Jesus used time around meals to challenge the social and religious exclusion of women. And this week, we're talking about how Jesus used a meal to demonstrate what's needed when we're weary. Welcome to the Jackie Always Unplugged podcast, where we're having off-the-record conversations. I'm Reverend Dr. Jackie Reese, founder and president of the Marcella Project. As a pastor, preacher, and thought leader, I've walked with women of faith for decades and had thousands of conversations about what women encounter solely because they are women. At work, family, their faith, with relationships, sex, the church, their bodies, and Jesus. On this podcast, we're going to be asking hard questions, dealing with real issues, and revisiting scripture with a new lens. These conversations are going to put words to your female experience. They're going to ennoble you as Jesus intended and encourage you to bring your full self to the table. It's here we're going to reshape our view. Well, welcome back. Anyone feeling that, you know, the I'm not sure how I'm going to fix it, feed it, pay for it, or heal it right now? You're at the end of the rope, maybe the end of your resources, and your I care button is really broken. Great. Let's pull up to the table. This is a big table because today we're talking about the story of the feeding of the 5,000. And it's in that story where Jesus feeds these 5,000 plus people that he has something to say to you and me, those who are pandemic weary. This particular mealtime story is found in all four of the gospels, which is kind of unusual, but we're going to be engaging in gospel, the gospel of Mark, chapter 6, verses 30 through 44. That's where this passage sits. And Mark opens his story by telling us that the disciples are weary. They're tired out from work. And so Jesus decides to take them on a vacation for the weekend. And they get in a boat and they head toward this vacation spot. And while they're out there on the sea, the people see them and they start trailing toward where they're going. And the texts tell us us that many ran on foot all the way. These people are desperate. They're hoping this man, Jesus, has something that will change the trajectory of their weary lives. Now, how do I know that? Well, because Mark uses words all the way through his story to indicate so. Like the word ran, ran on foot. It has this imagery of people running like they're in a frenzy. They're desperate. And then in verse 43, he uses this Greek word for the word basket, the basket that the disciples will use to pass out the bread and the fish. And that word that he chose suggested a small basket, a basket a person with little means would own. And so all the way through this, Mark is trying to make it clear that these people are living a hard life, a weary, dreary life, and they're hoping like crazy that this man, Jesus, has something way better to offer them. And hey, that reminds me, before we go any further, if if you know of someone who's weary right now, like who doesn't, how about sharing this episode with them? Like help a sister or brother along. Or if you find this episode helpful, subscribe, either on iTunes or Apple, whatever venue works for you. Let's get this passed along to those who are pandemic weary. Okay, back to the table. 
So they are all there when Jesus and his disciples show up on the shore, all 5,000 of them. Well, actually, it's way more than that because the number that Mark tells us is actually only counting the men. And if we look at some of the other gospels, like Matthew 14, 12 tells us that the women and children were there too. So for the sake of an argument, let's just say that there were 5,000 men and only half of those men had wives, which was probably unusual because in that time, everybody was kind of married. But we'll just say half. And that makes the count more like 7,500 people. And let's say that those women who are following along have just one child, which again is kind of unusual. They had multiple children. But let's just say each one had one. Well, that puts us at 10,000 people. And that is a conservative number. But the point I'm trying to make is this is a huge crowd waiting for Jesus. Now, I want you for just a moment to imagine how the disciples are feeling right now. They pull up on the shore, and there are all these needy people. Oh, you can. You can imagine it, can't you? Because many of you are right there, weary, ready for a break. But oh no, there isn't any coming. I think that's how my sister and my sister-in-law are feeling right now. One of my sisters is a prophet college, and the other one is a special ed teacher. And both of them had to pivot this spring, you know, just like many of you did, to teach online. Lots of energy exerted, mental fatigue from doing their work and tending to their kids while their kids were also doing school online and all the other tasks we've all had to tackle. Simple tasks that have become very taxing, have you noticed? Like going to the grocery store. It feels like a war zone in some ways, right? Can I touch that apple? Can I get that thing? Why aren't they standing back? Why the hell isn't he wearing his mask? Simple tasks have become taxing. My sister, the prof, she called me the other day. Her college has decided that this fall they would go all online. I know many of you have received that same information. Daunting, isn't it? And she's trying to figure out how she's going to manage keeping her five-year-old, seven-year-old, and nine-year-old boys on task to learning online while she also teaches online. And it's not just for a few more months to get to the summer, is it, anymore? Now we're talking doing this for a whole year. Yeah, going into the fall, she's feeling like those disciples on that shore. And so are many of us, right? But Jesus, but our sweet, sweet Jesus, he steps out, he looks around, and he sees these weary ones as sheep without a shepherd, it says. And if you read about a sheep without a shepherd, John 10 tells us a lot about it, 1 through 12, tells us that Jesus is the great shepherd, and a true shepherd is concerned for the needs of his sheep. Sheep without a shepherd are like prone to wander and get lost, easy prey, defenseless. They need guidance on how to find sustenance, how to thrive, and so do we. Jesus sees their weariness, and the text tells us he has compassion on them. I love that word, compassion. You know what I take that to mean? As we find ourselves like unable to focus, more susceptible to distractions, edgier, more prone to anger. And yeah, I'm talking about me right now. We find ourselves maybe less than we'd like. Well, Jesus doesn't. What I want you to know from this text, from this meal, he's telling us he's not disappointed in us. He sees weariness. 
He has compassion for you and me. And the passage continues. It says he has compassion on them and began to teach them many things. Now, what do you think he was teaching? What do you think he was talking about to these weary souls? Come on, think about it. What did Jesus always talk about? I mean, his most predominant conversation was about the coming kingdom. He was always talking about that as if there was something very special about it. The kingdom of God on earth as it already is in heaven. That's what he was talking about. A time and space and place where all things would be made right, new, good, whole. See, I think amongst these weary people, the text doesn't tell us, but in light of what he always talked about, I think he's offering them hope. In scripture, hope is like expectantly waiting, and there's a tension in the waiting, tension until it's released. And hope has two dynamics, right? Clarity, being real about what's happening the right now. It's no Pollyanna answers like, no, this is not fun. So there's clarity, but there's also what's called social imagination, where collectively, as a people, we can imagine a future that in the present, that is better than what the one in the present. And surely Jesus was talking about this. Surely to these weary people, he was offering hope. But what I love about Jesus is he doesn't just talk about it. He shows up. He delivers. He shows them that he's able to deliver on a better future than their present. It's late. The people are hungry. There's no McDonald's close by. And so the disciples come to him to inform him. And I find this kind of funny, like they're informing God. Hey, just in case you didn't notice, it's a little late. There's no food. We need to send these guys on their way so they can go and get some dinner. And Jesus looks at them and says, you feed them. Now, mind you, the disciples are really tired. Remember, they had gone there to get some rest. They've been working. They're supposed to be on a retreat. And I bet they're thinking, now they probably didn't say it to Jesus, but surely they were thinking, are you kidding me? We're tired. And how exactly do you expect us to do that, Jesus? Anybody feeling that right now? In the parallel gospels, we learn that Philip, Philip is, by the way, one of the 12 disciples. He's the disciple who doesn't always catch on to what Jesus is saying very quickly. Well, he calculates how much money they'll need to buy enough food for all of these people. And he figures out that it's going to take up to 200 denarii to feed all of them. Now, 200 denarii would be the equivalent of like eight months of work. And so here's the disciples calculating, hemming, and hawing. How are we going to do this? How much is it going to cost? Calculator, nope, we just don't have that. So they check their pockets. Maybe they've got some extra coins or maybe a few coins dropped underneath the seat of the boat. Nope, nothing can't see it. And Jesus is standing there watching, waiting for them to try to figure it out. And finally, they come to Jesus. They shrug their shoulders and say, not sure how we're going to do this, Jesus. And he tells them, okay, you don't have enough? Go see what the crowd has. Maybe they have something out there. And they go out and amongst the crowd, and they do. They find a young boy that has five loaves and two fish. Now, ladies, that's something, but it's not enough to feed 10 thousand people. So they come back to Jesus, shrugging their shoulders again. Okay, so we don't have enough. And the crowds, well, they got like five loaves and two fish. Not enough, dude. 
Now, surely this is not going to make it, Jesus. How are we going to do this? And the story continues. Then Jesus directed them to have all the people sit down in the groups on the green grass. And they sat down in groups of hundreds and fifties. That's really important, so hold on to that. The word group here describes this specific configuration. It's a reference to uh, how the Jewish dining room was arranged, which was much like the Romans' dining room. There's like three tables formed like the sides of a square. The way I would say it is you've got a picture of football goal post, except on the ground, lying flat. Then you'd have it. So the disciples, right, they have 50 to 100 people sitting in these kind of goal post positions on the green grass. Now, since we aren't all together and I can't like help you see this in a different way, let's try to imagine what this looks like. I think it's helpful to understand what Jesus is saying to us when we can try to see the picture and even see ourselves in the picture. So imagine right now, we can't get together, right? We're not supposed to be gathering in large groups. So, so imagine for yourself right now that you had 49 friends that met you in a park or maybe in your backyard if it's big enough to have 49 friends. Now, how full does that space feel? Okay, now let's add another 50 to 100 more. Now, how does it feel? Okay, we got to keep adding until we get to 8,400 more. Yeah, it starts to seem like what we might think of as a stadium full of people, right? A stadium, a football stadium. Not the AT&T Stadium in Dallas, that Jerry World that's so huge, but maybe more like the size of my kids' high school football stadium in Cuphill, Texas. It holds about 10,000 people. Yeah, seriously, a high school football stadium, 10,000. They really do do things bigger in Texas. Or maybe it might help you to see this as like an outdoor concert, like the one I attended in Saratoga, New York, where I saw Tracy Chapman. There were people up front in chairs, and then the rest of us filled the lawn with blankets except you got to get rid of the blankets because the people in Mark's gospel, they don't have them. The point is, this is a huge crowd of people sitting in groups of 50 to 100, like football goalposts on the green grass, which by the way tells us it's spring, which means it's right around the time of Passover. The point is, there's a sea of people. Can you see them? Now, what are the people doing while they're sitting there on the grass, facing each other, by the way? What do you think they're doing? What do you see? Well, they're talking to each other, right? About work and kids and family and raising chickens and Aunt Susie who's losing her mind. They're talking like we're talking about stuff like we talk about stuff. Meanwhile, what's happening up front, way up front, where Jesus and the disciples are? Well, it says in verse 41 that Jesus takes the five loaves and the two fish, gives thanks to God, and breaks the bread into pieces. It goes on to say, and then he gave to his disciples to distribute to the people. He also divided the fish among them, and they all ate and were satisfied. And they all ate and were satisfied. Okay, so I want you to picture this. Let's actually let our legs feel this one. They have small baskets, remember? They're, they're the type of basket that a poor person would own. It's not very big, which means when Jesus broke the bread and the fish and he put it into their baskets, the basket could not hold all the food that was needed to feed all 10,000 people. It wasn't a one-time shot that happened here. So basically, they filled their basket, 
all 12 of the disciples, and they walked around to the group, the first group of 50 to 100, and they passed it out, and they waited. And when it got empty, they took it back to Jesus again and got more and walked to the next 50 and 100 people in a group and waited and passed it around and took the basket back to Jesus. And then they walked even further, maybe middle way, right? Can you see them coming and going, coming and going? And they have to keep doing this all the way until they reach the 10,000th person way up there on the nosebleed of the stadium or way out there on that outdoor concert lawn. How's their legs and arms doing about now? Can you feel it? This was not just a lesson that Jesus intellectually wanted them to learn. He wanted them to experience this truth with their whole body. And what are they learning? If you're going to get the impossible done, you're going to have to keep coming back to Jesus for more, to fill up, to get what you need, to go back out again and again and again. Now, this is not the first time God's taught his people this truth, even with their bodies. Think back to Exodus 16, verse 11, right? This was the story about the manna. They're in the desert. They have no food. They're complaining. And God says, I'm going to give you some manna. I'm going to rain down bread from heaven. And they are, he says, the people were to go out each day and gather enough for the day. No more, no less, just what they needed for the day to get them through that day. And they did. God provided for the day, and it was sustenance for the day. And every day they had to go back and get more sustenance from God. So way back then in the Old Testament, God was showing this fundamental truth. He will provide what we need for the day, not for the next day or the next day. There will be no storing up, but for the day, he will provide what we need for this day. So many of us are at the end of ourselves. And I'm wondering if Jesus is just waiting for us to come back to him to get from him what we need so that we can go back out and do what we have to do. Now, let me show you something. I want to deviate a little bit from Mark's passage because I think this idea of God's provision for the day is actually set up in Genesis 2. You know, the day in which God rested. We call it the Sabbath. Genesis 2, 1 through 3. Most of us have heard the word Sabbath. We translate it into the English word rest, which in our minds means absence of activity, to be still, to be relaxed in body and soul. But in the Hebrew definition, the word means manuha. That's what word is used in chapter 2, Sabbath. It doesn't mean an absence of activity or stillness or relaxed. It actually means to, be, to cease to be finished, to be hollowed, to be complete. Jennifer Dean in her book, um, He Leads Me Beside Still Water, says this. We say on the seventh day that God rested. Have you ever wondered why did God rest? Had he exhausted himself? The scripture's clear. God rested because he was finished. He was finished with all of his work, so he ceased. God created for six days, and then he Sabbathed. For how long did he Sabbath? Did he pick up where he left off on the eighth day? And no, 
God on the seventh day of creation began a Sabbath that was to last forever. Hebrews 4.3 says, and yet his work has been finished since the creation of the world. You see, in one sense, God's work has been in a finished state, completed since day seven. Listen to what the word says. When was the lamb slain? Revelation 13.8 says, before the world began. When was the kingdom prepared for believers? Matthew 25.34 says, before the world began. We could look at 2 Thessalonians 2.13, 2 Timothy 1.9, Titus 1.2 and 3, Ephesians 2.10. All of these verses tell us that his work was finished, so he Sabbathed. Now, why is this important for us today in our pandemic weariness? Because what it teaches us is on one level, the spiritual realm, the heavenlies, God's work is in a finished state. And yet, as Jesus stated in John 5, 17, my father is always at work to this very day, and I too am working. So what work is left to do if it is finished in the spiritual realm, in the heavenlies? Well, the work left to do is release it from the spiritual realm into the material realm in the fullness of time. And isn't that what exactly what Jesus was saying to his disciples when he taught them how to pray? Remember he said to his disciples, your father knows the things that you have need for before you ask him. So in this manner, therefore, pray. Now listen to the Lord's prayer in light of this idea. Our father in heaven, holy be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it already is in heaven. Now give us our daily bread. And it goes on and on. Did you hear it? Jesus is basically saying to you and me, it's already done in heaven. Come to me. Watch. Be alert. I'm providing what you need for today. Don't try to collect more than one day's manna just today. I've got your today. Every day. Every day. We go to him and we say, what now, Lord? How, Lord? Daily bread day, day. Please, Lord, manna. And he says, look around because I'm about to release it from the spiritual realm into your material realm, Jackie, so that you have sustenance today. You have what you need today to get through what I've given you today to do. And Jesus does this in a bazillion ways, right? Sometimes it looks really small, very practical. Other times it's huge, like, oh my God, I never could have imagined this kind of provision. Other times it's this supernatural sustaining strength, something interior that I can't exactly explain but it's enough, enough for the day. And I, I think many of you know exactly what I'm talking about. It might actually be helpful for us to, to, to share with one another that kind of experience we've had with Jesus, this truth, where he has provided daily sustenance every time we needed it. What did that look like, both in big ways and in small ways, very practical ways, very material ways, and then in this supernatural sustaining way? We have a Facebook group called Jackie Always Unplugged. I'd love to hear your story. In fact, it would be very encouraging for us to hear all the ways in which Jesus shows up daily to meet our weariness, to provide for it for the day. I've talked a lot with you over these past few months about the pandemic, and I'm right where you are, weary. 
and we're kind of done, and yet we aren't, are we? We've got a whole another year. And I don't know about you, but I need to have Jesus remind me of this once again. This nothing will come into your life today for which Jesus has not already put provision in place. And that my job is just to be alert and watchful, to look to him first and let him point me to his supply, his manna for the day. Our Father, who is in heaven, holy be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it already is in heaven. Amen. If this has been helpful, subscribe. Or at least share with another sister and brother who's feeling the weary right about now. Our next episode, we're going to be talking about wine at the mealtime. I sure am looking forward to talking with you. Hey, if you've enjoyed this conversation, then hop on over to themarcellaproject.com and sign up for our email or check out some of our other resources. You can also find me on the Marcella Project Facebook page or on every other platform of social media as Jackie Reese. R-O-E-S-E. Have a great day.